of our podcast this week, we tried to come up with a list of 10 things we hate about Julia Stiles, but we couldn't think of a single one because she's ace. And lo and behold, the star of Riviera is this week's guest. Plus, all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast of things agile working is the new hot desking. Oh yeah, very enjoyable. Just was at the Picture House Central. Took my trousers off. It was lovely. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined, as ever, by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our resident Jurassic World star, a man who insisted on preparing for his role as Edmund by clapping his hands and being utterly forgettable. It's Nick Dissemblian. Hello. I'm... Yeah, that's true. You I'm more, here. <laughs> I'm more hay fever than man today, so sorry for any sneezing and... It's all right. I haven't even been near any hay. <laughs> yeah. Apologies in advance for that. But you have all the fever. I've got the fever. you got the fever and the only prescription... Clarenton. And last but least is our digital guru, our resident West Wing fan, who once spent a happy six months living inside the walls of Martin Sheen's apartment. It's James Dyer. Hello, Chris. How are you? Yes, yes, not too bad. I'm not high feverish, but I'm quite hot and sweaty from having walked over here. Yeah, I know that 10-minute walk from the place you were to the place we are now must have been a real killer for you. You It Yeah. Okay. Do you get hay fever? No. I'm allergic to nothing. Really? Yeah. I have no allergies of any kind. I had a girlfriend, yes, uh, who was allergic to quite a variety of things, including rubber. Really? Mm -hmm. That must have been a real crimp on your social life. It was expensive. I had a girlfriend who was allergic to soap. That's actually true. Really? Mm. We need to get these two together be like... (laughs) The key master and the gatekeeper. Nick, are you allergic to anything? I'm still traumatised by what you just said, to be honest. This is, it's conjured up images too disturbing. That's because I'm also showing you images on my phone, which are, which are too disturbing. Oh. It's basically like that bit in Event Horizon, yep. <laughs> where people rip their eyes out. It's, it's, like, it's all a bit like something from the Dark Universe. Too terrifying to comprehend. Welcome to a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> anyway, here we go. Right, shambolic start already. Uh, should we have a question? Let's do it. I like this question. This is a good question. This is from at AVP2015. Who asks, uh, what film magazines beside Empire did the pod religiously read as teens, e.g. Starlog, Cine Fantastique, etc.? Um, oh, yeah, we can have brought this out to other magazines as well. You know, we are learned people. Mm. I mean, you, your subscription to Cahiers du Cinema is well known. <laughs> you just, Do you have to Google that? Yeah. Okay. I borrowed Phil's. It's fine. Yeah, you'd think Phil would have read Cahiers du Cinema when he was a youngster, possibly four. What did he read? You um, grew up with him. Well, he read Empire because that's how we kind of got into movies. Phil used to get Empire and then I used to read his hand-me-downs and uh, our parents have still got them all in the loft. Interesting. So, uh, that's your yeah. nest egg. There we go. There's gathering value as we go. We haven't got an issue one. We haven't even got an issue one in the office. We did. We bought it on eBay. We did. Did we? We lost it. There we go. No, because we we did. Seriously, this happened. We lost issue one. We We couldn't find it anywhere. All the organizational skills are reasonably certain. One of the workies stole it. Uh, But we, um, yeah, we bought another one off eBay. Okay. Truth. There we go. Um, And then we lost that. It's entirely so, possible. Well, we moved office, didn't we? We've lost a great many things. We have lost including a great many two things. of the podcast microphones. But the less yeah. said about that, the better. Well, you say that, but I think appeals can really have a great benefit. So, if anyone is out there in the London area and you come across two uh, Sennheiser microphones with their uh, cables attached and the little foam guard thing on them, uh, please return them to the Empire offices because uh, it's it's crimping our pod style somewhat. Do you think there's a famous actor out there somewhere just talking into the microphone, unaware that that <laughs> They're on their own. <laughs> I'm going to go to the headquarters of Prodigium because I imagine those it's in a mothers... Jar. It's in a jar. The podcast microphones are in a jar. The great evil has befallen us. <laughs> he'll be saying, he'll go, oh, look at the microphones. And then he'll be doing, he'll be doing his own interview. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh blimey, Governor. Oh, I'm Eddie Hyde. It, it wouldn't be worse than some of the... No, no. Let's, let's be optimistic about that's, the dark universe. But let's, yeah. not, let's not get into that. Let's not get into that because we get into that in great detail in our The Mummy Spoiler special with director Alex Kurtzman, which is out now to pour into your ears. So go and download that if you watched the Mummy or you enjoyed the Mummy. Maybe second thoughts: don't want, don't listen to it if you enjoyed the Mummy. Uh, but there it is; it's available for you to uh, download now. So you read Empire? You were an avid Empire reader. I was Empire, Total Film, and what? Hot Dog. Total what? To, to, 
Total, is it a magazine called Total Film? I believe so. Never yeah. heard of it. Never heard of it. Uh, yeah, I I've read got to confess. I've got a confession. Oh, my God. There was a while where I stopped reading Empire and I only read Total Film. Obviously. Really? Now are our sworn sworn enemies, and every time we, we encounter them at a screening, it turns into Anchorman, <laughs> and the tridents come out. Uh, no, the lovely bunch of people. But, um, yeah, I don't know. There was a while where, it, you know, it was like, Tall films, cool and hip. This was like two years ago, wasn't it? Is, yeah. <laughs> Nick was seduced by the dark side <laughs> of the force. I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Maybe this is about fifteen. God, we're aging ourselves here. This is about what fifteen, twenty years ago, something like that. Yeah, probably like two thousand. Yeah. Probably when Total Film first appeared on the uh, on the horizon, and yeah. felt maybe fresh and new. When, in the cool. way that Neon did. Well, what year did Neon launch? Was it 1995? Well, Neon, Neon and Total Film launched on the same day. I remember going into WH Smith in York, where I was uh, at university, and I had been an Empire reader uh, since issue two. I still don't have an issue one. Uh, or maybe I stole the one from the office. <laughs> Who knows? Um, and I went into WH Smith in York. This was around, okay, so hang on. I was, yeah, around 1995, 1996, something like that. And uh, I saw these two new movie magazines on the cover, on the uh, on the newsstand. And I can't remember what was on the cover of, of Total Film, but I remember what was on the cover of Neon. Although I probably got it wrong, and it was um, it was Father Ted. Father, Father Ted, Ted cover. Mm-hmm. They uh-huh. ran a Father Ted cover. No, 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 no. It had Dermot Morgan and Ardell O'Hanlon as uh, Ted and Dougal McGuire dressed up as Luke and Leia and I think there were multiple covers and they had different different things that's cool uh, and I picked them up and I was like wow more movie shit for my brain and um, yeah I, I read those and loved them Neon in particular Neon the late lamented Neon which was just Neon was great it was great and it, it, it really catered to a very specific niche of movie uh, goer which is probably why it's no longer with us that was Damo's magazine wasn't it Damo Wise yeah, yeah who looked a lot the, like Dermot Morgan it was the most Damo thing ever to go into print it was yeah, hilarious it really was and, and it was great and I thought all three worked together really really nicely and I dabbled with sight and sound as well really uh, I did dabble with sight and sound we, I was doing a film course and so we were reading a lot of other stuff as well uh, but I, I, I also because I'm a horror guy I would read magazines like uh Fear, which was a a film, a horror film magazine, uh, The Dark Side, which was again another horror film magazine, and Starburst, the great science fiction and fantasy magazine, that was the home of Alan Jones, who is one of the great titans of genre journalism, not just in this, in this country but in the world. And I interviewed Alan when I first joined Empire because we needed um, an expert for a, for a story, and I interviewed him. And it's the only time I've ever said at the end of a, talking to another journalist. Thank you, because your writing inspired me all all these years. And Alan's a fabulously flamboyant guy. And he went, "Oh, don't mention that, darling." And then just just <laughs> moved on. It was it was pretty awesome. So those magazines were my my core, and they they were along with Empire. Obviously, they gave me uh, they gave me my education and my start in life. And I, I bought the first Neon. Definitely, I don't know if I picked up Total Film. I, my grant money probably didn't cover both of them, so I imagine I just chose the cheaper one. I think Neon was a pound, if I recall correctly, the first one was. Uh, yeah, probably yeah. was, and I think so. It was Total Film. Yeah. Well, I picked up that one. I no, never read Total Film. I did work experience with Total Film. Mm. Me too. Uh, Are we going to bleep out every mention of Total Film in this? <laughs> by the way, because this is, gonna... <laughs> this is becoming a, a weird competitive uh, advertising thing. But it was a great time. It was a great time. We had you know, Empire was was really strong. Total Film was really strong. Neon was really strong. Hot Dog came along after Neon, didn't it? And could never no, hot dog quite capture the bit magic. Later, I think wasn't it? Yeah. I think Hot Dog was around two thousand and one. Yeah, it was. It was after I started at Empire. Oh, okay. Good God, it's a long time ago. <laughs> um, Do you yeah. remember Sky Magazine? Yeah, well, I used to uh, subscribe to Sky. I used to I've still Sky got an issue with that. I've still got an issue with that with Patsy Kensett on the cover. It wasn't all all film. It wasn't like a dedicated no, no. film magazine, but there was some good filmy stuff it had in all there. Had lots of stuff in it. I, I used to read Sky. I mainly read computer game magazines, to be honest. I bought way, way back before any of our listeners were alive. I bought Crash Magazine, which was the Spectrum, the official Spectrum magazine for the ZX Spectrum. Uh, I, I used to I buy uh, Amiga Format back in the day. It used okay. to come with a disc on the front. That was very exciting. Um, and, you know, things like CVG, computer video yeah. games, stuff like that. Uh, games one, Master. Yeah. I've been, recently I've been delving into, obviously, the lots of American magazines that we may not have had a chance to read back mm. then, but there's a lot of stuff online. There's a lot of amazing Rolling Stone articles, obviously, about movies. I've been delving into their kind of 
archives and reading stuff. Uh, Crawdaddy was a magazine. Crawdaddy? Crawdaddy was a magazine from like the 80s. Fantastic. Like they were on set at the Blues Brothers. So I read right. that article recently, which is a great piece. Uh, they're not going anymore. But um, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I mean, all the uh, great American magazines kind of passed me by because we couldn't get them over here. You couldn't get Premiere. And there was, there was a. There was a British version of Premiere that ran for about four or five years. Yes, I, I bought that every month as well. So there was a period where I was, th- I think I was buying something like seven or eight film magazines a month. Let me correct that. My dad was buying me mm. uh, seven or eight film magazines every month. See, I think you've hit on it there. It was the budget thing. It's like I didn't. I bought comics. I think more than I bought magazines. Mm. I used to spend most of my pocket money on comics. And before I was spending them on like trade paperbacks, before comic shops were a thing <coughs> over here. Remember, they used to have those things where they'd take the American trade paperbacks and they'd reformat them into large, sort of larger scale for the UK market. For the UK market, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I used to read. Uh, the, there was a Spider-Man and Zoids one, which is a slightly odd marriage, wasn't it? Spider-Man and Zoids. They probably didn't care, in fairness. What, yeah. is, what is a Zoids? Do you know, how do you know? You're, clearly, you're younger than I am. Zoids were, were little sort of like um, uh, wind-up dinosaur things that you would sort of make from a kit, and they have little robots. They were robot dinosaurs. So what was it? Spider-Man was fighting them? No, no. They were completely independent. <laughs> they didn't cross over. But Spider-Man would be like the first half right, of the comic, okay. and the then Zoids would be confused me. the second half. It wasn't versus, it was just Spider-Man and Zoids. They just cohabited. So they team up. Yes, and Secret Wars had its own had its own sort of like comic thing that oh, ran for the Secret Wars, Wars saga. I love it, which is very exciting. Uh, you're listening to the How Great Was the 1980s <laughs> podcast. I'm expecting Stuart McConey to pop up any second now. He'll he'll burst through that window and start talking about how great Spangles were. Um, yeah, I, I'll tell you one thing that I, I, I missed as well, which was uh, the Great American Horror Mags. So Fangoria, which sadly closed recently, I I never read that. And I remember the the one time I went to, this is about 2002, 2003 maybe, I went to Austin, Texas to interview Harry Knowles of Ain't It Cool News. And I went to his house and I went to his man cave, um, which is not in Harry Knowles. It's a place where he lives. And I, I uh, we, we got to chatting for like hours about geek stuff. And this guy can out geek me by a considerable distance. But he, he recognized a fellow geek, and he went, hey, dude, come into my house. And so we went into his house, and he showed me all his really cool stuff that you know was off limits to, to other people. Uh, and he was like, oh, there's, you know, there's my Fantastic Monsters of Filmland collection. You must love that magazine. And caught between a rock and a hard place, I lied. I went, yep, love it. Love, love the Fantastic Film Lee Monster thing. Great. Uh, never heard of it, but of course, <laughs> Fari Ackerman, the uh, the guy who basically ran that magazine and, and I believe wrote most of it, was a legend to a lot of up and coming geek filmmakers uh, and Harry Knowles. But people like Guillermo del Toro and stuff grew Judge up worship, grew up and Steven Spielberg grew up worshiping this guy and worshiping this magazine that that completely passed us by because we were in in the United Kingdom. Yep. Great point. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, we were. Yeah. Didn't uh, we suffer? Do you remember Duran Duran? No, okay. <laughs> so, there we go. That's that question dealt with. Uh, we read quite a, a few things religiously as kids. Any non-filmy stuff? Apart from computer game stuff? Enemy? No, I read I, Melody Maker, not Melody Enemy. Maker. Melody Maker. Back in the I was day. a bleepy music guy, so I was like a mixed mag music yeah. DJ banging tunes, banging tunes monthly, mm. all that stuff. Total Tom York, indeed. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. Welcome to a new world of gods and bleepy bleeps. Bleep bloop bloop. <laughs> I'm not going to look at it. Uh, right. Okay. If yeah. you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast, then you can do so via a number of means. Uh, you can do so by tweeting us where we're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast, just like AVP 2015 did, uh, and we can see your question. We're on Facebook as well as Empire Magazine, and you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. Time now for some movie news. Uh, should we start off with a, a quick and shameless plug? Plug. <laughs> that's the worst jingle I've ever heard that's, that's amazing uh, yes uh, do it again you can have that for free plug <laughs> you, you sound okay. like a, a yes. plug in peril so a uh, plug in peril yes this is the <laughs> this is the uh, new issue of Vampire Week very very excited about this Nick talk us through it 
you could say this is the dawn of issues. Uh, we have uh, done one of our semi-regular Greatest Movies polls where we've asked uh, all the readers and everyone else in the world to vote <laughs> for their favourite movies. And vote you did. In, in your dozens. In your dozens. <laughs> your, no, so, millions. In your millions. Interestingly, the number one pick uh, is once again The Godfather. I think the last time we did one of these polls was 2008. Mm. And no, the last time it was number one was 2008. Last time we did one of these polls was 2014, where we did the 301 greatest movies of all time. And The Godfather was not number one then. It was The Empire Strikes Back. Ah, okay. Ah, it's okay. Very, it's okay. very, very exciting. But so yes. Corleone is back. Vito is back at the top spot. Mm-hmm. He may have put a few uh, horses' heads and a few beds <laughs> to get there, but um, yep, he's back at number one. Uh-huh. So he is once again on the cover of Empire. It's all very, very exciting. Uh, and there's an amazing feature backing it up. It's not just a list of movies. It's lists of movies because uh, we reached out. We went through our Rolodex. Do you remember Rolodexes? They were great, just like Spangles. Um, and we contacted pretty much all our great filmmaker uh friends and family and whatnot, and we asked him to contribute their lists of the greatest movies of all time. And in their dozens again, they answered the call. Give me some of the names who are in there. Edgar Wright. Neil Blomkamp. Scott Derrickson. Ava Dufresne. Lynn Ramsey. Colin Trevorrow. Paul Greengrass. Edgar Wright. <laughs> I, I know, but he's so good I wanted to say it twice. Uh, Paul W. Sanderson. Talking about 2001 Space Odyssey. That's amazing. amazing. Chris McQuarrie, uh, Adam Wingard, Karn Hardy, Lona Scherfig, Matthew Vaughan, James Mangle, Gareth Evans, Joe Dante, John Landis, Paul Feig, Richard Curtis, Chad Stahelski, uh, tons and tons of amazing directors all contributed their lists. And some of them wrote little mini essays to go with the number one pick. Some of them contributed more than 10 films because they just couldn't narrow it down. Edgar Wright chose 40, Matthew Fawn chose about 875 <laughs> movies. Uh, that was quite the phone call. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's a really interesting, fun list, but it's not all that you will get in this magazine as this shameless plug enters its fourth hour. We also have a, a, a wonderful feature on war for the Plant of the Apes, uh, the return of Andy Serkis and his big ping-pong ball mocap suit. Uh, he's back as uh, Caesar. Uh, we also have a feature on the return of Game of Thrones, 15 Things You Wanted to Know About Season 7 of the HBO show. We also have a feature on Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, his World War II epic. The Empire interview is Luc Besson. Oh, oui, oui. Oui, 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 that uh, Nicolas de Semillon here did. Uh, oui, oui, good, very good. Uh, we also have The Beguiled uh, in there as well, and a sad, uh, but rather beautiful, I think, farewell to Roger Moore. Um, and that's just a feature section alone, and there's other stuff as well. In the preview section, which is the news section, we have first looks at the likes of The Greatest Showman, which is Hugh Jackman singing and dancing, and uh, we have Murder in the Orient Express, which is Kenneth Branagh's moustache singing and dancing. We have Logan Lucky, the new movie from Steven Soderbergh, who's clearly got bored of retirement. And uh, Brendan Gleeson is this month's How Much is a Pint of Milk. Uh, we review all the, the new movies, including a five-star review for Baby Driver. Dun-dun-dun! Intriguing. Uh, and the review section, which looks at home entertainment releases, has all sorts of stuff in there, including uh, a John Wick Chapter 2 viewing guide, uh, a great interview with uh, Dolph Lundgren and uh, a really interesting oral history of all the actors who played uh, Chirone in Moonlight along with Barry Jenkins. I really enjoyed uh, one of my favourite novelists, Don Winslow, uh, writing yes. about Raging Bull. Yes, cracking. for the first Take Club. Mm, indeed. Which indeed. is where we get people who haven't seen films before to watch the film and then write about the film and they're really, really interesting people the likes of Ian Rankin and Tom Fletcher from McFly and uh, Don Winslow who's an amazing novelist uh, wrote about uh, Rachel Bull and he's really, really good. He's got a new book out called The Force next week and yeah. I am very much looking forward to it. I am as well and the film adaptation will be directed by James Mangold. All of that for just £4.70 from your local good or evil news agent. You cannot say fairer than that. So uh, there you go. Rush out right now to your news. No, listen to this podcast and then rush out uh, and get it. So all very, very good. And if you want more from the 100 Greatest Movies list. Oh, yes, of course. We have a special podcast. I even wrote it down here. I said, mention 100 Greatest Podcast, and then I forgot because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so would you like to tell us about it? 
No, James, you seem to handle in this one. Go on, go for it. When's it out? When's it out? When's it out? Is it out now? When's it going out? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> I believe it's out on Monday. We have a podcast dedicated exclusively to the 100 Greatest Movies, and it will be up as soon as John has finished editing it. <laughs> Whenever and wherever that may be. Yeah. Uh, at some point next week is my best guess. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it will be, be marvellous. Where uh, me, yourself, and Johnny Pyle argue to a certain extent, over what should and shouldn't be on the list, what is on the list, where it is on the list. Will, will, someone, be be up, explaining, will someone be explaining why Interstellar is in the list? I believe we bring you up while discussing, not that, I think we bring you up while discussing the placement of Departed on the list. Yeah, that upset me as well. <laughs> <laughs> as I pointed out before, it's not even the best film with that plot. <laughs> Yeah, so there's some lively discussion about, uh, about the list, uh, which is loads of fun. I do recommend you listen to it. There you go. It'll be out on Monday. And of course, as I said, the Mummy Spoiler Special is already out, as is the Wonder Woman Spoiler Special, uh, which um, it doesn't feature director Patty Jenkins, but does feature four of us idiots talking about the movie in great detail. So mm. if you like that sort of stuff, very, very cool. Also coming up on the Spoiler Special trail is we have a Baby Driver Spoiler Special with Edgar Wright, uh, and beyond that, a War for the Planet of the Apes Spoiler Special with Matt Reeves, and maybe a Spider-Man Homecoming uh, Spoiler Special as well, so keep your ears peeled for those. Right, uh, what else has been happening in the world of movie news this week? Danny Elfman is back with Batman. That's a confusing sentence, but it's true. Because he has just signed on to compose the score for Justice League. Now that is exciting for fans of music that goes... (laughs) There's an amazing amazing video online, uh, I think the site is College Humour. Yes, this is a great uh, great one. Just an amazing... uh, Yeah. Well, how does it go again, the video? <laughs> it's a, it's a spoof of uh, Danny Elfman, isn't it? He's basically someone's playing Danny Elfman, and someone's trying to get him to record a score, and everything Danny Elfman goes comes up with is really inappropriate, and it's full of really gothic, <laughs> zany. It's really funny. Yeah. Um, but you know, maybe this will be returned to the sort of laid back Western stylings uh, of Danny He's Elfman's one of the Midnight Run soundtrack, which is yep. Mm, just so he is one of the greats he's amazing uh, I wonder because Batman now has had so many different themes and for me Danny Elfman is one of the his Batman theme is just primo gudo and uh, I want it'd be really nice if you could just have little, little elements of that I love that it's something in the ballpark of what you just just saying that's exactly uh, how it goes that's exactly how it goes uh, um, I'm intrigued by this I'm, I'm honestly surprised that Hans Simmer isn't doing the uh, the score for this, but I will say that uh, Danny Elfman, of course, was parachuted in quite late in the day to Avengers: Age of Ultron and did a bunch of themes for that as well. Um, so I wonder if Joss Whedon, who of course, as we know, is now writing and directing Justice League to completion, um, I wonder if he enjoyed working with Danny Elfman so much that he decided to do it again. Yeah, mm. and there are there are reports that they're adding more Wonder Woman to Justice League. Not sure if these are substantiated, but there are rumours. There are. There it are. Wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't shock me either. Um, I, you know, sometimes you you would wonder if you can maybe chase too much of a good thing. Sometimes uh, people are people are loving obviously Wonder Woman, which is out now. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they're digitally adding her to every shot. Yeah. I just Gal Gadot in the background of every shot. Slowly receding the other heroes into the background. It's just like, you know, so it just becomes Wonder Woman and in very, very small parentheses, Batman and Superman. Yeah. <laughs> and in well, even smaller parentheses, Cyborg. <laughs> and just the electric cello starting constantly in every scene. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, yeah. Nothing yeah. to add. No, it's exciting. It's exciting. Uh, I thought it would be Hans Zimmer, but maybe he's off doing the going for gold reboot. Who knows? Is it as exciting as the return of Lufa? Welcome to the world. (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, Yes, Luther. And Lufa! Gods and Luther will both be returning uh, next year for season or series, I should say, because it's English series five of Luther. Neil Cross has confirmed. They should call um, it 4.5 because the last one was about two minutes long. It was wasn't two it? episodes, yeah. Right. So, you know, it's, it's the other half of that, perhaps. But this, is one, but, this yes, one is going to be longer. This is, well, I don't know. Perhaps it will, perhaps it won't. But either way, uh, John Luther will be donning the coat once more. They're going to shoot it next year for the BBC. That's very exciting. I was on set of the last one, the last very short two episode one, which I enjoyed immensely. Do you think. He might get a new coat, Jimbo. 
He threw his coat away at the end of the last episode. I'll be honest with you, I did not watch the last episode. I suspect someone will have to go and, you know, reclaim it. Why did he throw it away? Well, I think because he was done. It was symbolic. He threw it in the street, threw it off and strolled He could have off. taken it to a charity shop. He could have done. It was quite wasteful. That would have been a terrible end to a series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would, yes. Uh, Luther dropped his coat off at Oxfam. Uh, but yeah, presumably he's going to perhaps, as you say, replace it with another tweed coat. Who knows? Or dares to dream. Um... <laughs> Should, anything should, is possible. Anything is possible. We should find out next year. Uh, also, I don't know if you've seen this. Jessica Chastain is in talks for uh, yes, yes, to play the Shi'ar Empress Leandra. This is uh, yeah, this is very very interesting because this is um, uh, the new X Men movie, X Men Dark Phoenix. It was confirmed this week that Simon Kimberg, who has you know of this podcast, he's been on this podcast a couple of times, um, who has been kind of. Shepherding, I would say. He has assumed the role of, of Shepherd of the X-Men franchise over there. And there are other people working on the movies, so like Lauren Schiller Donner and Hutch Parker, but he seems to be the driving force behind these movies. And he's working across Deadpool 2 and this and New Mutants, which I think began shooting this week or begins shooting very, very, very soon uh, with Josh Boone at the helm. And most of the cast are coming back as well. This is intriguing to me. Because everyone's contracts finished with Apocalypse, mm. and I wonder if because that movie was much maligned, if they want to go out with a bang, and so they're all coming back. So James McAvoy and Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence and Nicholas Holt and Kobe Smith McPhee and Alexandra Ship and Sophie Turner and Ty Sheridan, and they're all back. The, the the new ones I mentioned, they are that's part of their contract. But Holt and Lawrence and McAvoy and Fassbender all re-upped. Uh, for this and that's intriguing because that's a good it would, sign it's a good sign because you know, they didn't have to and obviously I imagine they had a, a truck filled with gold backing up to their driveway at the same time but hopefully it also means the script is good and there's something for these characters to do and Lalandra of course James as we will know being X-Men fans uh, means something very interesting for Charles Xavier talk us through that Jimbo God I can't remember do they, do they get it on is this, is this what you're getting at <laughs> Yeah. I seem to vaguely recall this. <laughs> Professor Triple X. We're back in the 80s again. It's <laughs> very good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or Professor Sex. Mm. Either one is wow. it's not that good. Uh, which is intriguing because they're saying that she's a, a, a bad and uh, I don't think she'll turn out to be the big bad in this movie. I wonder who that could be, Dark it's, Phoenix. It's impossible to say. There's no clue. Mm. <laughs> could we possibly tell uh, hopefully but, this this film will be as a phoenix rising from the ashes that was X-Men Apocalypse oh. which was one of the poorer uh, well, films <laughs> I was going to say superhero <laughs> films but I mean it was a profoundly dull experience <laughs> it's hard to argue it and really I, I, I do like the X-Men it's, it's a yeah. series I really like but the, that that experience was not a good one no it wasn't yeah. it is It is. I think it's safe to say the worst X-Men film yeah, it was like watching a giant blueberry walking around for two hours occasionally, <laughs> summoning up people. <laughs> wow. It's like but yeah. being attacked by Farouk Assault. But Which Daisy, one turns into, yeah, it was a fight of Beauregard, it turns into the big... The, into Challenge Olifantry, yeah. I, I do not remember. They, they're all one and the same to me. It's whichever child that Willy Wonka is trying to kill at that particular moment. All right, okay. I don't think he's killing them. He's coming close. He's he nearly te- murders every one of them. He's teaching them dark lessons. Yeah. Don't we see them at the end of the... They're all okay at the end. Moving on from that one. But uh, Jessica Chastain is good casting if indeed she decides to to do it. So, fun. Fun, fun, fun. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. In other sequel news, uh, this is intriguing in terms of Mission Impossible 6. Uh, Michelle Monaghan has this week revealed that she is going to return to the, the franchise. She is, of course, Tom Cruise's wife or ex-wife. It's all a little bit confusing. And, and appeared in the best Mission Impossible film. She wasn't in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. <laughs> or the first one. <laughs> you mean, oh, her brief appearance at the end of Mission Impossible 4, Ghost Protocol. That's the that's one you're talking about. I'm, um, of course, referring to Kiss, the Kiss Bang Bang, which isn't even a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> which we can all agree is the best. The third best. Welcome to a new world of gods and idiots. <laughs> Prodigium. <laughs> yes, that's what Mission yes. Impossible needs. It needs more Prodigium. It needs it more Eddie Hyde. Yeah, uh, yep. Uh, obviously, at the end, uh, if anyone listened to our Epic Spoiler special with Chris McQuarrie, um, he pretty much indicated that Julia was out of the picture, Ethan Hunt-wise. So that's intriguing that she's there. And if she's on set, as he posted a picture this week, they appear to be in New Zealand. So what mm. she's doing there, maybe on a Lord of the Rings vacation, who knows. Um, right, what else is happening? Can I, uh, can I talk about Neil Blomkamp for a little bit? You can. And in fact, I would be disappointed if you didn't. Good stuff. 
So uh, I had the pleasure of chatting to Neil Blomkamp recently for about 40 minutes uh, on the phone. So he's been very quiet recently uh, since Chappie came out. Chappie obviously didn't do so well and then he kind of went underground and we we all thought he was working on his Alien film with Sigourney Weaver coming back as Ripley. Uh, It turns out that it's been about a year since he found out that that wasn't going to happen. And in the meantime, he hasn't been sitting around. He's been uh, forming his own studio called Oats, which is based in Vancouver, and he's making experimental short films. And uh, I got to see some of them, and they're pretty cool. And they're starting to... I believe the first one is online now. If you go to oatsstudios.com, that's Mm -hmm. the website. And there's more to come. Uh, That first one is called Raka, and it's about an alien species which has enslaved humanity, and Scorny Weaver is in it as one of the human resistance, and it's pretty trippy. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one coming out called Zygote which has got a creature made entirely of arms and it's quite alien-y and there's uh, a couple with Shelter Coakley as God which are coming out as well and they're fun <laughs> and um, he's, he's described these shorts as being any of them could potentially become a film if people like them but he's putting them up, up all up <clears throat> online for free and seeing what people think wow that's, that's pretty cool so that's pretty cool that's a maverick move from Blomkamp yeah, he talked. Uh, he talked about Chappie and his disappointment. He still feels he got that film right, and he described the re- the world's reaction to it as a dick punch, <laughs> which is a colourful way wow. of describing it. So he was obviously very kind of disappointed by that, but he's uh, yeah, he's been busy. Chappie punch dick. Chappie no punch dick. No Chappie, don't punch a dick. Become aware of your outer limits. Don't don't stop beating up Chappie. What is I'm it? not beating up Chappie. Discover your inner. What does he ask him to do? Start, look, this is not. <laughs> Stop being mean to Chappie. I'm not being mean to Chappie. Stop punching Neil Blomkamp in the dick. That's, that's what I'm trying <laughs> to say. That is what we're doing. But I'm excited. I'm a big fan. And uh, I want to see him make another film. And I don't know when we're going to get to see his next film. But Dick Puncher. That should be his next film. <laughs> <laughs> Shouter Copley is Dick Puncher. That'd be great. I would genuinely like to see that. Um, should we talk about the Black Panther trailer? It's a teaser trailer, which hit this week. And... Uh, Went down smooth. I think a lot of people liked it. I know that my my wife, who now exists only to fuel the drinking game on the podcast, <clears throat> this lady that I pay to pretend to be my wife, um, she loved it, absolutely loved it, and uh, has been playing the song from the soundtrack, which I believe is Legend Has It by Run The Jewels, uh, over and over again, and she's been watching the trailer on the, on the loop as well. Uh, not eating, sleeping, <laughs> just, just sitting there and watching the trailer. Um, it is... Fantastic! Well, uh, I think it's, it looks really interesting and and new and fresh and different. What do we, what do we make? I liked it a lot. I'm intrigued by this film. Intrigued. Yeah. It feels like it has a very different flavour to to the other films, which in many ways do adhere quite strictly to a template. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 very excited. I'm excited to see a longer trailer because I felt yeah. I don't I didn't get enough of an idea of what it's about from this one. It's, but then it's very it's much a teaser. teaser. So very much know, a teaser. It, it felt to me very much like a look who he's got look who we've got in our film yeah. kind of thing yeah. where it was flitting between loads of characters. It's an amazing cast. Yeah. And not just because Martin Freeman is returning as <laughs> Everett K. Ross. Everett K. K. Ross. Yeah. Everett K. Ross. He's got a middle initial. Yeah. He doesn't need one. His first name's Everest. <laughs> Everett. 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 Yeah. Like, he doesn't need to distinguish himself. Not Everett. He's not 29,000 meters well, tall. He does. Yeah. He needs to distinguish himself from Everest, apparently. 29,000 so. feet. 29,000 feet. Yeah, anyway. Everett he's Everest excellent. Is. Michael B. Jordan looks like he can whip the mask, so that's uh, yeah, yeah. pretty exciting. He's, play, he's playing the, uh, the baddie in, mm. in it, and uh, yeah. And Chadwick Boseman, who's 40 years old, I found out this week. Is he? He's yeah. very good. He doesn't look like he's 40 years old, that's for sure. Uh, it, it's a really, really great cast. Lots of intriguing images. Uh, and I think this movie, a bit like hopefully Spider-Man Homecoming, will benefit from what I think is a kind of new approach from Marvel, which is that they're introducing characters in films, both Black Panther and this version of Spider-Man were in Civil War, obviously. And so you can hit the ground running for their solo movies. Yeah. You don't have to do the origin movie template, which, and, you know, those guys have got down, obviously, with the likes of Doctor Strange and Ant-Man and what, whatnot, but, yeah, they don't have to, they don't have to kill Uncle Ben. They don't have to show uh, T'Challa becoming the Black Panther because we've already seen it. We have. Did uh, either of you watch the Flatliners trailer? No. No. Neither did I. <laughs> so this has and been an excellent conversation. That has flat lines. I, yeah, yeah. Appropriately. I'm sure it was good, though. It's weird. I keep thinking I mean, it's a remake, but it's not. It's a sequel, which is a really ballsy move because I don't know anyone who remembers anything about flat lines. I know they were dying and came back to life. 
a film that is not in the zeitgeist anymore, so making a direct sequel. Apart from, I guess they did it to bring Kiefer back, but, I mean, Julia yeah. Roberts is not, is not cameoing in it, is she? I, I'll be honest, I don't remember how that film ended at all. All began. All began. I remember, I remember, uh, is, it, is it Billy Baldwin getting attacked by the ghosts of women who he'd filmed having sex with? I remember that bit. I don't um, remember that at all. No? Well, good stuff. And we're going to finish off the news section. On a sad note, uh, this week we lost two superb actors. Glenn Headley, best known, of course, for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and Dick Tracy, passed away. Um, and Adam West as well, the great Adam West. Uh, and Glenn Headley. Let's start with talking about Glenn Headley first. Uh, Nick, I know you're a big fan of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I just saw it very recently. I saw it about two weeks ago. Mm. And um, not for the first time. But she is fantastic in it as uh, the, what the two, Steve Martin and Michael Caine, the mark that she, they're going after. And obviously she flips the table. Spoiler. On them. <laughs> Can I, have I spoiled Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? It's fine, it's a comedy. No one cares. The statute of limitations has expired, yeah. I think. You're there for the laughs, it's fine. It's all good. But she's, yeah, she's, she's, great she's absolutely superb in that film. Mm. Very, very funny. Um, yeah, so. And likewise in Dick Tracy, and she's Mr. Holland's opus as well. And she was only 63. 63, which is no age at all, and very, very sad. And of course, Adam West as well. Uh, and tonight, the night we're recording the podcast, the city of Los Angeles will be, will be shining the bat symbol the bat signal, rather, in the sky. As really? A yeah. Oh, wow. That's I didn't cool. know they had one, but they do, uh, evidently. So they're going to shine it in the sky as a, as a tribute to him, um, which is really, really cool. Um, and, of course, he was Batman, but he was the, the Batman I think a lot of us grew up with Yeah. before, obviously, Michael Keaton came along. And, um, yeah, he was just a, a very, very funny, witty, debonair, suave guy who got it and... Knew that it was ridiculous, but somehow made it work. Yeah. I had the pleasure of meeting him at Comic-Con three years ago, I think. Really? And he was an absolute delight. Still, you know, he was in his 80s, super busy day, and he had a twinkle in his eye, and he was great. I got my photo taken with him, and straight afterwards he leant over and whispered, that's the best photo I've ever had taken of me, <laughs> which I imagine he said to every single person. <laughs> but he was just he was just an absolute dude. Like, he really was. Yeah. Um, very, very funny, just warm guy. And I, I love, I've got the whole show on uh, 60s Batman show on DVD. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I used to get up early as a kid and watch it. Yeah. But, yeah. I, he's so good, so good. And obviously, Nick Cage homaged him in Kick Ass. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, he, he was just fantastic and so good as well. Uh, if, you, if, you have, if you haven't seen Look Well, which is the pilot he shot for Conan O'Brien, it's on YouTube. Years and years ago, it didn't get picked up the series because back then people were idiots. Um, it's about an actor who played a former TV detective, and he thinks he is a real detective. Uh, so it has, you know, it's obviously in some ways a predecessor of things like Mindhorn, uh, and it's very, very funny. So do check that out as well. He's a great comedic actor, lots of chops, as was Glenn Headley, and uh, very, very sad to lose them both. Adam West, eighty-eight years old. Yeah, there was a story going around um, <laughs> online this week about Adam West and Frank Gorshin um, going to a party together back in the day yes. and finding out that it was an orgy yes and they immediately went into character as, <laughs> as Batman and the Riddler and, yeah. the, and they got ejected from said orgy and the mind boggles at what, what went down um, <laughs> if you're at an orgy the last thing you want to hear is that a bloke called the Riddler has turned up <laughs> it's an inappropriate venue for riddling <laughs> if ever there was one he was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting idea. But uh, he was amazing. I I did a, a proto podcast a few years ago with Peter Serafinovich, uh, which ran for ten weeks, and we had guests on every week. Uh, it was called I can't remember what the fuck it was called now. But um, and Adam West was one of the guests, and Peter Serafinovich, who's a very very cool laid back dude, was genuinely you could see that Peter was starstruck by as well as was I, and he he came on the phone, Adam West, and he was just. Adam West. He was just as you expect. He was quippy. He was funny. He he got the, he was in on the joke, and then at the end uh, he uh, he left a message as Batman for Peter's kid at the Incredible. time. It was just like I don't know four or five something like that, and just get into the Batman movies and believed that this guy was Batman. 
So he was a really, really lovely guy. We uh, Just to say quickly that, that finally, uh, that we interviewed Adam West back for the magazine back in, I think, October. And it was for the animated uh, Batman and Robin film that was coming out. And uh, that's uh, that piece has gone online. It is. So you can go to Empire Online thing. and have a read. It's and uh, yeah. he opened the interview on the phone by yelling, Brethren, <laughs> at our interviewer, <laughs> Alex Godfrey, <laughs> which is amazing. Wow. So I'm going to start all my interviews from now on. Uh, so there we go. The great Adam West and Glenn Headley, who died this week. Okay, time now for this week's guest. Uh, Jimbo, you're a big fan of Julia Stiles, aren't you? I am a big fan of Julia so, Stiles. So you can do her intro. It's Julia Stiles. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. She Why? wowed us all in 10 Things I Hate About You and did other films since then. <laughs> so you're a big fan of Julia Stiles, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really like 10 Things I Hate About You. Uh, more, I, I was rather taken with her character in that, uh, in that film when I first saw it. Okay, okay. Many moons ago. It is, in fact, my favourite teen movie. Is it? It is. I don't have time to pick you up on that. But anyway, um, so she's also been in, obviously, the Bourne movies, Indeed. all four of them. Uh, we're not counting <laughs> the Jeremy Renner one uh, <laughs> since then, but she's the star of Sky's new show, Riviera. And John Nugent, not you. Why did you not go and talk to this woman that you've had a crush on for years? <laughs> I was going to go and do the interview, but then, apart from the fact that it would probably be inappropriate, I um, no, I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't come in that day. wasn't there. So John bravely stepped into the breach. And so here it is. John Nugent talking to Julia Stiles. Enjoy. We are delighted to welcome to the Empire Podcast, Julia Stiles. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? I'm very well. Um, you are you're kind of everywhere at the moment, in a literal sense, because I I mean there are your faces on buses and billboards across London. That's what I hear. I just yeah. arrived yesterday, but people have sent me photos. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, is that a strange phenomenon just to see your face on the streets? Yeah, I mean. It's it's nice though. For it's more for here. It's more exotic to me because I don't live here. So yeah. when I see like a red double decker bus, that's pretty. And my my poster up there, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. More than I think it would be if it was just like a New York City subway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the the show that's promoting is Riviera, which is uh, about to start on Sky this week. How would you describe it for those who have only seen the billboards? I guess um, it's. Inspired by this quote, um, I think from Somerset Maugham, the a sunny place for shady people. So it's a, set in this glamorous world of very wealthy Europeans who live in the south of France. Um, but I play a, the only American in it who is married to a billionaire and she was buying and selling art for him. She comes back to the south of France after a trip to a New York auction house and she discovers that he's dead um, and quickly is desperate to dis- to find out the truth about if it was a murder, if there was foul play, and why, and uncovers all this deceit in their marriage, but also fraud surrounding the painting. So there's a lot of um, crime and mystery that mm. that she unearths. Uh, I've seen a couple of episodes, and what what struck me was the the tone is is amazingly dark uh, compared to. You know the setting, which is very sunny and and glamorous. Mm-hmm. Was that part of the appeal? This sort of counterpoint between the the dark and the light, I suppose. Definitely, and that's one of the reasons that um, I was drawn to it in the first place. I just thought that was a really interesting contrast. Um, uh, and these the, these people, it's also kind of a, a family drama because there's um, the character of the ex-wife and also her three grown children, and and the the sons control the estate. Um, and control the household. So there's this family is very dysfunctional and sort of forced to live together and deal with each other. And they have everything they could possibly want materially, but they there's not much love going around. And also there's this weird bond that they have because they're all trying to keep their position in the household. And my character is the one who's the most alienated. Mm. Um, so it's a little bit, uh, yeah. The 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 on the surface the surface is very. Um, very different from what's going on underneath mm. all of it. Is there a, a sort of a Michael Corleone sort of element to your character in, in the sense it's sort of a good person being dragged down by like corrupt forces beyond their control sort of thing? Definitely. That was one of the models that we had for my character, that she initially could appear like the guileless American and na- naive and kind of bombarded with all this information. Um, but she surprises you and she quickly shows that she has a backbone and can stand up for herself um, and is not as naive as you thought. But she's a good person who is, because of this world that she's in, um, becomes kind of immoral and 
and does questionable things. Mm. And, and part of the appeal of, uh, for this show must have been also, you know, filming in, actually in the French Riviera. I mm-hmm. mean, that that must have been okay, I guess. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was all right. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, no, it was... I mean, great for the storyline, but then also just a wonderful place to live for seven months. So interesting. Mm. We stayed there in the height of the summer season um, all the way through the fall and the winter. So I got to see it in different different incarnations. Um, and it's an amazing, beautiful place, amazing food. Mm. Everyone's speaking French. It's lovely. I would spend more time there if I could. Did you, you learn French then while you were there? I mean, can anyone really learn French to satisfy the French? Um, I, I learned, I mean, I didn't speak any when I got there and I was able to sort of communicate with people Okay. Um, by the end of it, yeah. Uh, your, your character uh, is an art dealer and uh, am I right in thinking you came from a, a family of artists? My mom's an artist, um, but she had her own business and it wasn't re- wasn't really involved in like the the buying and, you know, the auction houses and things like that. But I grew up in New York City and I was exposed to museums and galleries and um, in college I had friends who were studying art history to become you know people that would work at auction houses um, so I yeah I was sort of familiar with that world um, yeah. and definitely studied up on it more once I was about to work on the show uh, the, the show was created by um, Neil Jordan and I, I read somewhere that you, you auditioned for Neil Jordan uh, was a 12 year old for Interview with a Vampire I auditioned for Interview with a Vampire and I think I also auditioned for the Borgias or oh, I right. just met him I don't, I don't remember but um, it was nice to know that the third time's a charm <laughs> yeah so did you think he saw something in this 12 year old and think I'm going to cast this person 20 years from now no but I do think that he he remembered something I mean there was he and his casting director remembered something when they were right. when they were thinking of who to play Georgina they thought of uh, me and that was a nice affirmation of like no audition is pointless yeah that's amazing yeah what's interesting as well in, in this country it's broadcast on Sky and they're releasing all of the episodes at once mm-hmm. uh, on demand um, so would you say this this show is a, a sort of bingeable show is it something you would recommend watching in one sitting or space out um, it's, it's definitely, there, there's, it's a show that, the, there's that old expression, like, if you, the gun that's planted in Act 1 will appear in Act 3, like, there's some thought behind where the show's going to go, and it right. was crafted as a full story, um, so if you like binging on them, you can watch them in a full sitting, or you could savor it, because I think it's kind of fun to try and guess what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you won't guess correctly. <laughs> Uh, what's what's your TV watching habits like? Are you much of a binger? Do you like settle down with the series? More and more now, yeah. Right. I'm. I used. To, I I have a really horrible attention span, so I had a, like a hard time just sitting for that long. But I found some shows that I really really enjoy. Um, yeah, and TV has gotten a lot better. Yeah. Well, I mean, Riviera has a budget that's bigger than a lot of movies. You know, what's your like impression of the the TV landscape these days? Is there much difference between TV when and I first started acting? You had to, you were either like a movie actor or a TV actor. Right. There's definitely a stigma attached to working on TV, yeah. and now that's totally changed. And I think it's because of this binge watching, like streaming, streaming at home kind of thing, where now writers write so that um, they have to be thinking about. Planting seeds of where that are going to pay off at the end. So where is the story going to go, ten episodes later? Whereas before TV used to be just episodic. Yeah. Do you have any particular like preference and which you work, or it's just the, the roles? I re- I Riviera was so wonderful for the, particularly for the reason that it was that amount of screen time, mm. and I got to invest in this character for ten hours instead of and seven months instead of mm. um, a shorter amount of time. It just allows for that much more depth and richness. Is that a is that a scary thing? Because I mean, you're pretty much in every scene. Is there, do you feel a lot of pressure having having that much uh, screen time? Um, it was more like it wasn't pressure for me to perform. It was more like a responsibility to make the show good. Mm-hmm. And I was happy that the producers were really open to my input. You know, so I would make. Um, give notes on scripts and I was pretty adamant about like keeping the make keeping the quality of the show up and I and I kept saying you know there's a lot of good TV out there so this has to be on par with that otherwise people aren't going to watch it yeah um, uh, speaking of films we, we last saw you in uh, Jason Bourne mm. and you know without wanting to give any spoilers it seemed fairly a uh, fairly definitive end for your character yeah I mean 
having said that, would you ever consider a return? Like, say, a, you know, a prequel, perhaps? Would we see the Nikki identity? I doubt that they would do a prequel. Mm. I think if, and I don't even know if they would do another one, but if they do, and there were flashbacks, sure. I loved working on those movies, yeah. Mm. But I was happy, I mean, I was in four of them, and I felt like the the, the model of the Bourne films is that you, anyone who gets close to Jason Bourne ends up dead. Mm. And so it was Nikki's time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was kind of inevitable, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to do the obligatory ten things I hate about you question, um, <laughs> but it has inspired quite a fan base, um, which is an honor. That's yeah. great. Uh, you know, I, I saw it uh, at an outdoor screening in a park last year in London. Oh, fun! And I, I could see everyone around me just knew all the words. I mean, it has this sort of obsession, obsessional fan base, I guess. That's cool. Have you have you had any unusual fan encounters or people who are obsessed with this film that you know? have asked you strange things about it or anything? No, people are usually really... It's nice to see excitement over a movie that came out such a long time ago to Mm. know that people remember it and even care about it um, or that it brings them back to a certain time in their life. That's that's really nice. Mm. Um, Strange fan encounters. Yeah, but more when people think that I'm in movies that I wasn't in. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Like what? They confuse me for other people. Um, I used to get Kirsten Dunst a lot, um, like Spider-Man. People always thought I was. Oh, really? It was fine. Yeah, and we. I I know her, and we would okay. laugh about it. You ever sign an autograph as Kirsten Dunst? No, but I might use that if I don't like the picture. <laughs> I might just go like. Yeah. Uh, have, have you Have you seen uh, Ten Things I Hate About You recently? Have you? No, that's like. No. Yeah. No. I mean, I have no problem with it. I look back at it fondly, but I mean, yeah. it's like... I've, you don't revisit... There's only so much time in the day. Yeah. <laughs> it would be weird if I was sitting there watching. You don't revisit your work at all then? You don't look, look back on it? and. No, no. Uh, so uh, what's what's next for you? Are we going to see another season of Riviera, do you think? I hope so. We'll find out. There's a possibility. Yeah. We'll know more, I think, once it airs. Okay. Uh, and anything else in the pipeline? Any any projects on the way? Um. Well, I'm... Pregnant, so I'm going to oh, be congratulations. having a baby. So I won't be working wow. until, until that project is. That's a pretty big project. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh well, best of luck with that and uh, and Thank with the area. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Julie Styles. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, time now for this week's movie reviews. Let's start with Gifted, in which Chris Evans, aka Captain America, teams up with Mark Webb, aka the director of the last two Spider-Man movies, uh, for a domestic drama. And this is a bit of a, a change of pace for both gentlemen. So Chris Evans plays Frank, who is a a man living out in Florida with a, a young girl who is precociously gifted. We think at first she is his daughter. She's not. She is his niece, uh, bequeathed to him after his sister, who is a, a genius, committed suicide. Uh, the young girl also shows incredible mathematical promise. She's a bit of a, uh, a prodigy. And uh, her long-lost grandmother, played by Lindsay Duncan, appears in the scene recognises that promise and wants to take her away and uh, essentially utilise it. Do they so, want to send her to Prodigium? They do want to send her to Prodigium. And this is very much, uh, this is very much more low-key than that. It's about a good man uh, under the most trying of circumstances fighting a court battle, a custody battle with his own mother for this young girl and what's best for her. Uh, Nick, what did, you, what did you make of this one? Yeah, I, you know, I, I liked it. It's a very well-meaning film. It's it's quite an earnest film, um, and uh, yeah, it's really about this this kind of family dynamic um, and this young girl. I mean, it's extremely maths heavy or math <laughs> math heavy. It, it, this movie wasn't for me as much. I thought initially it was going to be one of those films where people write things on blackboards and the music goes, but it wasn't quite like. There's one scene where that happens where she solves an equation. But otherwise, I don't think it was as math heavy as it could have been. You wanted you wanted more math. It was more. No, I, I thought the I thought they got the math right on the math. Uh, I thought this was you know a, a nice balance of domestic drama, courtroom drama, pretty well acted, um, and one of those movies that just that nicely passes the time. I feel. And you know the 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 other part of the movie is um, that Chris Evans's character is having this this romance with uh, Jenny Slate's character Bonnie. So it, it, the movie is kind of divided into those two subplots, and it's it's fine. I just don't think it's particularly memorable. Um, it's a little bit kind of too straight down the line. Um, feels a little it strays into kind of Hallmark Channel sentimentality at times. I think it's fair to say. And it just, you know, obviously Mark Webb, before he, he got involved in the, all the Spider films, um, mm. did 500 Days of Summer, which 
took quite a generic genre and put its own spin on it and was quite, you know, very original mm-hmm. and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this really does the same, to be honest. I think this, this doesn't feel particularly like a director's vision. No, it's fairly it, straight down the line. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a fairly I'd say maybe generic movie. There's not a lot here we haven't seen before. But if you you know, it's 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 fine. It'll push your emotional buttons. Um, Chris Evans is is very very good. This is the first, This is the latest development in his attempt to actually become it seems Captain America. Because again, this is another one of those decent guys who who plant their feet in the sand and look you in the eye and tell you the truth and tell you what's what. But they do so with a really decent smile and big bulging biceps and a lovely great big bushy beard. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he's very, he is good in it. Uh, it's just a slightly one note character, I would say. I want to see I want to see a Lucas Lee spin off. I want to see a spin off <laughs> of his movie star character from Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, there's not... he's so brilliant in that, and yeah. uh, this, this character doesn't quite stretch him. There's a slight revelation about the character halfway through, which I thought was interesting in terms of the sacrifices he's made. But yeah, uh, otherwise I would agree with that. The young girl's very good. McKenna Grace, very very good as well. Uh, and overall, we we get the movie three stars, and I think that's right. It, it's it's a movie. If you're in the mood for it, if you fancy a bit of domestic drama, courtroom drama, Kramer versus Kramer versus Kramer, then go for that. Gifted three stars for that. Uh, also out this week is Churchill, which is about the nodding dog that tries to sell you car insurance. <laughs> I would watch that. Hundred <laughs> percent, oh, yes. I would watch that. Uh, what's this about? This is about some sort of prime minister, is it? Yeah, some bloke called Wince, Winston Winston Churchill. So yeah, so th- this movie is about the original British bulldog, Winston Churchill, uh, huh. British PM, obviously, during World War Two, And it's set over a few days. Instead of trying to span his whole life, it just shows the run-up to D-Day. And it's an interesting film because it sets out to, to rather to glor- rather than to glorify him and make him out to be this legendary hero. He is trying his, mo- his hardest to stop D-Day happening because he's completely convinced... Uh, that it's a disaster in the making and mm-hmm. that lots of people are going to die in vain. And he's haunted by uh, things that went wrong, the decisions that were made uh, by him during World War One, and lots of people died as a result. And so he is kind of traumatized, having visions of being on a beach with blood coming in uh, instead of water. And he's, he's freaking out. He thinks D-Day is going to be a complete disaster and a bloodbath. And so the whole movie, you're watching this legendary real-life character trying to persuade people not to do the thing that you know as an audience member is is a good idea and it's going to turn the tide. So it's, it's a strange experience. It's the least Churchill Churchill film, isn't it? It's it's because you, you Churchill's often regaled as sort of the world's well not the world's let me start again. Churchill is often regaled as sort of the greatest Britain in history. And this has him kind of as a sort of dodgy old man who just gets in everyone's way. Um it's a, it's a it's it's quite sobering actually. I mean it's not quite a takedown piece. But it's not that far from. There's this, there's this line that Miranda Richardson, who plays uh, Clemmie, his wife, she turns to him at one point and says, uh, Brooke and Eisenhower and Monty are fighting this war and you just keep getting in their way. And it's quite, I mean, it's, it's a splash mm. of cold water in his face, but it's that sums up the whole film. Every sort of suggestion he has seems to be kind of ignored. Yep. His feeling that Operation Overlord is a terrible mistake is obviously a terrible mistake. Um, and it, you do feel kind of... Sorry for him that he was once great during the Blitz. I think they say at one point, you know, in rallying the troops and building morale. But you know, strategically, he's a liability. It's almost like Kirby enthusiasm, where it's a it's a grumpy old man going around, <laughs> yeah. getting into arguments with people, and everyone just wants him to go away. Frankly, like he keeps bursting into meetings with the the generals orchestrating the war, and he's just a pain in the ass and annoying everyone. <laughs> but it's textured, isn't it? Because I mean, it's about his, you know, it's documented his fight with depression is is something depression the is something dog, dog yeah. his life, the black dog of depression, uh, and it's how you know when that's upon him, he can't even get out of bed, let alone run the country. It's it's mm. it's an interesting look at Churchill, the man rather than Churchill, the sort of the icon. Um, and I really enjoyed I really enjoyed the performance of it. So we should mention it's Brian, Brian Cox. It's Brian Cox, it's not Gary yeah. Oldman, who's the other Churchill this year. In Darkest um, Hour. Because uh, by the year 2025, every man of a certain age in Britain will have played Churchill. That's, that's where we're going. That's a fact. Um, but he plays it magnificently. I mean, Cox is fantastic. It's an, it's an incredible performance. I would say the film is fine. The performance is outstanding. Yeah. I would agree with that. Indeed, because it's uh, another three-star film. Uh, but of course, as we always say in the podcast, three stars is indeed a recommendation. Uh, also out this week, we have Nick Broomfield's documentary about Whitney Houston, Whitney Can I Be Me? That got three stars as well. And uh, Mark Cousins of Movie Drum has made another movie 
and it's very dark about Stockholm. It's a place I love. Great place <laughs> to be. Uh, so he's made a, his first proper feature film. He's made documentaries in the past. Uh, Stockholm I love. Uh, and you never guess what I got as well. Three stars. A bit of a three star week, but there you go. Uh, and that is it for this week's extra shambolic episode of the Empire <laughs> Podcast. My apologies to everybody Sorry. listening for everything. Uh, join us next week for more formulated fun. We'll be joined by Colin Trevorrow, the director of The Book of Henry. And uh, next director, of course, in Jurassic World. <laughs> yes. We'll be able to drill down into that, you know, proper deep dive into how Edmund came to be. I will applaud wildly, Frout. <laughs> Until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from James. Bye. It is goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. And that's goodbye from me. I'm off to an orgy dressed as Batman. No bad can come from this. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>